0: Hello and welcome to Dialogues in Dermatology. I'm Dr. Lauren Council, your Editor-in-Chief. We have another exciting podcast for you today. We hope that you enjoy. The novel coronavirus, or COVID-19, is a new coronavirus first identified in Wuhan, China in 2019 that has been rapidly spreading around the world. As of March 24th, 2020, the CDC reported more than 44,000 identified cases in the U.S., The American Academy of Dermatology has developed a series of podcasts on this global health issue, including a roundtable discussion on the need to know science and issues for dermatologists, as well as interviews with experts on teledermatology, and the author of a journal of the American Academy of Dermatology article on steps taken in the dermatology outpatient department during the outbreak.
1: Welcome to Dialogues in Dermatology. My name is Abel Torres. I am the professor and chairman of dermatology at the Department of Dermatology at University of Florida, Gainesville. We have the pleasure today of being here today with uh, Dr. Iltafat Hansavi, who is the senior staff physician of the photomedicine unit at the Department of Dermatology at Henry Ford Hospital in Detroit, Michigan. And the reason we're speaking with Dr. Hansavi is because he is the lead author of uh, an article on ultraviolet light germicidal irradiation a possible method for respirator disinfection to facilitate reuse during COVID-19 pandemic. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. So first, Dr. Hanzavi, we know obviously that the ability to disinfect and reuse the disposable N95 filtering face-piece respirators is urgently needed, especially during this COVID-19 epidemic, and the supplies are running low. We hear often how there aren't enough supplies, So, what inspired you and your colleagues to consider using ultraviolet germicidal irradiation as one possible method for this?
2: Sure. So, my sister-in-law is an anesthesiologist in Chicago, and she had to intubate a patient maybe a a week before we had a stay-in shelter orders in Michigan without a full mask, and they were trying to limit the supplies of the N95s to use a regular surgical mask, and they also weren't clear guidelines. And so it's a very emotional conversation with your own family, and and you try to influence what you know. And we have a very strong photomedicine unit that was founded by Dr. Henry Lim and supported by our chair, Dr. Ozog. So right after that, I started thinking about what can we do, and I spoke to our physicist, Dr. Coley. And we all knew about UVC germicidal lamps when we were studying for our exams or working in the lab. We'd see those lamps that we would have to kind of close off in the hoods. For the sterile procedures in the research labs, well, we felt could we repurpose that? And so we started looking at our solar simulator. So we do a lot of sunscreen testing, photo provocation, looking at visible light effects in combination with UV effects for sunscreen protection. We wanted to see if we could repurpose our solar simulator. While that was going on, I got an email from Bob Golding at Davlin asking us if we would be interested in helping them figure out how to use the UVC devices that it would have. And then we started thinking, well, why not repurpose? your existing devices. And so Bob came up with this idea, we were talking about using UVC, we decided to start working together. And that's been about four weeks of 80 hour work weeks the past uh, four weeks of our lives. And we've been working on that since then.
1: Dr. Hazavi, we know that studies have shown that UVC can inactivate coronaviruses, but what is the data that supports the possible repurposing of these phototherapy devices
2: for this type of use? So the ballast that's in a narrow band or UVB or even a UVA device is basically a ballast that allows for multiple different wavelengths. So you can take out a UVB device and put in a UVC device. You can put in a UVA device. And so that platform, the electronics, the stability of the photons, the distance, the radiance profiles, all the things that are critical in photomedicine already worked out. So what you have to do is switch out the lamps. So any phototherapy unit in the world can be switched from narrow band to UVC quickly. On top of that, dermatologists and their teams are very comfortable managing the safety profile of these devices, making sure that you have protection, you have goggles, you have to make sure that the dosing is done properly, timing the dosing, all those things that were comfortable in our phototherapy units, we can do. So we felt that why not just switch out the UVC lamps and, and Davlin has a significant expertise and I have no financial relationship with Davlin, And they were able to switch those out. And then we had to go back and recalibrate the devices to look at what was the radiation profile to make sure there's a uniform beam. A lot of photomedicine type techniques that we do in our department all the time. But for most dermatologists now, it's going to be just switch out your lamps, put in UVC, and learn how to use it versus building a whole new device. So to make that switch, how do you go about doing that? Let's say I I have a practice and it's a big practice and I want to do this. What are the steps I should do? So you have two options. One is you can contact a company that does phototherapy and just ask them to supply you with UVC lamps. You can also go directly to the manufacturer of the UVC lamps and order them. For the most part, most of these lamps are interchangeable. It's the same prongs that are used in all different units. So you can insert yourself, I just got done working with some testing and uh, we had to replace the lamps. They just mailed the lamps to me. And I am not that great with my hands. I, my wife never relies on me to do anything around the house. I was able to switch out those lamps very easily. And so Excellent. you can do it easily. Sometimes you need a technician to recalibrate the device. But we're all comfortable having people calibrate our phototherapy units. It's the same technician, just a different lamp.
1: Excellent. Now, the, you know, I know that one of the concerns has been whether or not the ultraviolet light radiation can degrade the
2: polymers of the mask.
1: What can you tell us about that?
2: So, specifically, I'm going to talk about 254 nanometers as a peak profile because there are other UVC wavelengths available, 222 and other wavelengths that are also on the market. But we're going to focus on 254 because that's where the empiric data was. There's two elements of deciding how to use UVC to retreat the mask. Number one is Does that wavelength have any data on its effect on a virus such as coronavirus? There's no direct data on SARS-CoV-2, but there is data on SARS-CoV, SARS, MERS, H1N1, Norwalk virus, and and many other spore-type surrogate markers. So we have that data on the actual microbial structures. Secondly, you have to look to see if there's any data on mass degradation. Does the light source affect the integrity of the mass? The last thing you want to do is to irradiate a mask and have somebody put it back on their face and lose the protection they had before. So there were studies both on those viruses, viral particles, as well as the target markers done by groups in the CDC, at NIH, at uh, other centers throughout the world, especially in the United States, after the H1N1 pandemic, with the anticipation we may have a crisis like this. So groups had been looking at this already, and those are references in the JAD article that we just published. Secondly, there was also studies checking on the mask integrity, and that was measured by filtration. They wanted to see how many air particles would pass through the mask and if it changed after radiation, and they did numerous passes with different doses to figure out if integrity was compromised. And again, in multiple studies, it showed that integrity was not compromised within a certain number of cycles and in general that dose kill rate is around 300 millijoules at least but you really can't kill surrounding similar organisms until you get to one joule so the consensus has come down to you have to irradiate the entire mass surface with one joule of uvc radiation peaking at 254 nanometers secondly most of the sites have shown and in our additional study that we've shown in the jad that's an addendum to the paper has shown you can repurpose masks up to 30 times in some cycles, but we recommend that nobody goes above 20 repurposing events. And what we've done is we've supplemented the filtration data, which was done on the actual individual parts of the mask with fit testing. And fit testing is what OSHA recommends to make sure the mask is fitting on you. And it's a clinical test. And we've been able to verify that some models of the mask, which are listed in the JAD article, are amenable to radiation, but some are not. And so based upon filtration assays on the actual mass material, based upon markers, surrogate markers, and similar markers such as H1N1 and other SARS viruses in microbial labs and in virology labs, and then based on FIT testing, we felt that you could repurpose these masks without losing integrity and eradicate or decontaminate the virus. I don't think eradicate is the appropriate term but decontaminate the virus.
1: You mentioned about how many times you could do this. There's the discussion that's been going on for a while in terms of putting the masks aside, leaving them in a paper bag where they stay for, let's say, four or five days, and then reusing them at that point. So do you balance those two, or do you just
2: basically do the irradiation every time after you use the mask? So generally, people are using the radiation cycles in our hospital system at the end of a shift. And so uh, there are certain models, the 3M1860 specifically, where we've we've done most of our work on, and that specific model, which is a teal-covered, kind of a hard shell-type mask, you're able to irradiate those up to 30 cycles in some areas, but the FDA is probably going to come in somewhere around 20 cycles. So in that situation, uh, you are taking a mask that you normally toss out after one shift. You can we use it for up to 20 when you're in a severe shortage. Now, ideally, we would want new masks every time, but that's not the situation we're in right now. So the other question is, can you just put the mask in a bag? But based on recent literature that's been presented, the virus is active on multiple structures for up to nine days. And you'll have to double-check that literature, but that is um, being shown that it lasts for hours to days after that mask has been exposed to the virus. So leaving it in a bag isn't enough, and the consensus has come down to three modalities of repurposing a mask. Washful weighting is not one of them. You can use UVC. You can use heat up to 70 degrees Celsius, dry heat, ideally. And you can also use hydrogen peroxide gas. And those three options have been listed among consensus groups like the N95 decontamination group, as well as CDC and FDA data. And that's based upon evidence that's been reviewed by multiple scientific groups.
1: So the other question that's been uh, brought up by some practitioners is, can you use your phototherapy box to generate enough heat to be able to uh, disinfect the mass using the heat that's in the uh, box?
2: So you'd have to get up to at least 70 degrees Celsius to do that. So I can't imagine a patient uh, being very happy and, and how long will you have to run your device for Secondly, you're adding a tremendous amount of UVB and we don't have any data on UVB on mass integrity. So I don't really know what that does. And the one thing we've learned is that as we've done our own studies, the different wavelengths of UVC have different effects. And when you add UVB, UVA, different effects, visible light, different effects. And when you're combining UVC with heat, a different effect. And so all the data we have is on individual separate modalities, heat by itself, UVC by itself. gas by itself. To my knowledge, there's no data combining these agents with an assurance to the practitioner that their mask will maintain their integrity. So I would really dissuade people from doing that until we get some more empiric studies.
1: One of the other questions that's come up is what about other masks? If you don't have the N95, is this a way to repurpose the use of other masks?
2: I think this is an open area for our specialty to contribute. Obviously, many of us are not in the front lines, but we really know this field well. So I encourage all the brilliant clinical trials minds in our specialty to look at UVC and maybe other light sources, but at the very start, UVC, since we have evidence, and try it with everything we can get our hands on. Try it on surgical masks. Try it on gloves. But we need those studies to be done. And we can design incredible trials. We've listed our specialty up in diseases that nobody thought were important. We made them important. We did incredible science for the biologics why not apply it to this same area so if all of us can start developing protocols we can evaluate those materials but to answer your question there are no studies on effects on filtration on surgical mass to my knowledge excellent well i think you may have answered my last question but that was any parting words of wisdom so one is contribute. I think all of us are struggling at this moment in time. And uh, our team at Henry Ford has easily 80 hours a week. But I can't tell you the sense of satisfaction we have when we repurpose a mask for a frontline provider and give them the best assurance that we can that that mask is in better shape after radiation with UVC than it was before. Secondly, we have to sound the alarm bells that use intellectual dermatology and see if we can repurpose other materials using UVC. Lastly, remember your basic photomedicine lectures. And if you don't remember them or you're not awake for them, brush up on them. This is UVC, not UVB, not UVA. Don't try to repurpose it using UVB or UVA. There's almost no evidence to say that it can work. Not that it can't be present, but there is no evidence. So stick with UVC for right now. So UVC is a wavelength that you want to use for this particular decontamination process, not UVB and not UVA, so UVC. Secondly, there's only certain models of masks that respond to decontamination with UVC based on the evidence that we have. And those are listed in the JAD article.
1: Excellent. And where can people go to get this information? Uh, you, you've mentioned the JAD article. Can you tell us a little bit more about the article?
2: Sure, so if you go to the JAD paper, and in in, as a research letter, we published that. In addition to that, on the Mendeley platform, which is linked to Elsevier's main platform, you have the actual manual. It gives you a step-by-step process of how you create a system in your hospital or your clinic to keep a clean, custodial element of the mask. It shows you how to radiate, shows you how to have a clean section, a dirty section, how to place the mass into bags after you're done with them, as well as a way to document on the mask that you radiated it. And we've done this in over 1,500 masks now. We want to share it with our community of dermatologists so they can share it with their hospitals and the healthcare frontline workers.
1: Excellent. Well, Dr. Anzavi, thank you so much for the work you've done on this. I think you've shown once again how a dermatologist can contribute to the other specialties and to the overall health of our patients. And thank you for an excellent presentation. And we look forward to hearing from you more as you learn more about this.
2: I want to thank my team at Henry Ford. It was Dr. Lim, Dr. Ozog, Dr. Narla, Lyons, Coley. Uh, from Torres and Angela Miller, many people in that paper, but I I don't want to neglect what they've done. I'm just one person, but I can assure you it was a whole team. Outstanding. Thank you.
0: The American Academy of Dermatology has numerous COVID-19 guidance and resources on managing your practice, legislation and regulation, and teledermatology. Please visit www.aad.org for this information.